Tino Mai Heidi Mikey Tano Hortaka. Welcome to the panel on RNZ National Today. Police have announced a plan to revise their policy on chasing fleeing drivers. Now, there was a report put out in understanding the motivations of fleeing drivers. So we have one of the authors on today. Donors giving more than $1,500 to political parties should be identified and state funding for elections could cost around 6 to $8 million per election. Would you support that? We discussed that uh, after four. And our fastest growing export, they are complaining that Australia is laying out the welcome mat. We're not. Also on the panel, a man in France didn't want to take part in seminars or weekend social events at work, so he was fired. The court disagreed. He wins the right not to be fun at work. Is it a hassle taking part in weekend social work events? And I'll pass this by you because a listener asked me uh, earlier today, are we still doing kissing under the mistletoe? Ancient Norwegian and Scandinavian tales say that mistletoe has meanings of love and friendship. One of the old-fashioned traditions I were letting go of, like putting oranges in stockings or eating goose. With me today, Nikki Bazant, journalist, author and speaker. Kia ora, Nikki. Very good to have you here. Kia ora, Wallace. We talked about you yesterday. Did you, did you know I that? I heard you. That oh, you was did? so awesome, yeah. About... Your wonderful attire and the fact that you make it all yourself. Sewing, yeah. Mm. It's, um, I thought I'd better wear something that I'd made today and to see you. Very so chic, very good. Yep, this is a 1976 pattern and the wow. fabric, fabric dates from the same Does era. It? Yeah, I think so. I bought it in an antique store in Nelson. Very good. Also today, Chris Wikaira, uh, Ngāti Maniapoto uh, Napuhi, former journalist, now director at company BRG. Kia ora, Chris. Kia ora, kia ora. Now, uh, first up, just this is amazing. Just after midnight on January the 15th, 1945, a German U boat, U 862, glides into a dark and still Gisborne Harbour. The midnight entry into Gisborne by this German U boat uh, in 1945 will be highlighted tomorrow by the first of many heritage interpretation signs in. Gisborne. By all accounts, it was the same U-boat that sank a U.S. Liberty boat offshore from Sydney on Christmas Day in 1944. To discuss, we have Director of Tarafati Museum, Eloise Wallace. Eloise, kia ora. Kia ora. This is quite something, and I admit I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know a German U-boat entered Tarafati. Tell us more about this. I know it's it's a poorly known story, and it sounds almost fantastical, really, that <laughs> this German U-boat came all the way up into Gisborne, into the inner harbour, had a look around for some ships to sink, didn't find any, backs out again, and then heads off down the coast to Napier, completely undetected. Nikki's shaking her head. You did not know this either? I think this is an amazing story. Do we know if it went anywhere else, into any other harbours? Well, it was the only harbour it came to in New Zealand. After it, after it left Gisborne, it travelled down the coast to Hawke's Bay. It actually fired a torpedo in Hawke's Bay um, towards the Pukeka, which was a coastal trader, and missed. So there's a German torpedo sitting out in, in Hawke Bay. And then it was recalled, um, because of, if you can imagine, this is nearing the end of the Second World War, um, it returned um, and then um, went into, was transferred into Japanese hands. I believe that there was only one metre of water under its hull uh, in the harbour in Gisborne, so things were tight. Things were tight. 
tight. And it's an, it was an unusual decision, I think, for the command and for Commander Tim to give the order to go into the inner harbour. They didn't have accurate uh, depth soundings. Uh, and and we know that there was probably only under a metre under the keel. You have to remember this is an 88 metre long submarine Amazing. with a, a crew of a crew of 55. Uh, oh and and it w- it was it was just really a miracle almost that they weren't seen because Gisborne really had only only demilitarised at the end of 1944. So they weren't to know that the command post, that the gun emplacement on Kaiti Hill weren't, weren't manned, uh, and they and they made this decision to come in. So I'm not sure what they were thinking, but they they came in. And the wonderful thing is that we have their diaries that that give some of their, oh. their, their thoughts. And this is actually how the story came to light. So uh, we have um, a diary entry where it says that they came in and, and the person writes, the people in this harbour have no idea of a war and its sorrow. The docks are brightly illuminated, a few small ships are at the piers, and when the engines are stopped, one can clearly hear dance music and observe dancing couples. It's actually given me. It's actually given me the goosebumps, Eloise, to think of this fifty-five person German U-boat in the harbour in Gisborne, and to write, "No one here knows of the sorrows of war." Chris, have you? Do you know the story? Well, I remember being told many, many years ago uh, from some characters up the coast. It might have been Derek Fox, actually, that his mm. father and that his father actually flew. Um, uh, planes in, in uh, Papua New Guinea, Rabaul. But the old people talked about, you know, there were stories of these guys sneaking ashore further up north of Gisborne to pinch fresh food. Eloise? Yes, that's right. That's a story I've heard too. Uh, down in, um, as they headed down to Napier, actually, I've heard the story that someone, uh, and it's apocryphal, that they, they went ashore and milked a cow. That's right, yeah. <laughs> pinch, some, pinch some milk. Yeah. <laughs> so these, these stories have been, and that was actually a, a boast that was made at a kind of, um, by one of the commanders, sort of as a joke, um, sort of in the 1980s, you know, when they were getting together and sharing war stories. But, and it was always thought that maybe this, this visit to Gisborne didn't happen, but finally, when all of the records came out, it was revealed that it that it was indeed a fact. And it actually did. So um, you ca- people came to know the story because of the diaries, and in fact, it, it, it goes to show, Nikki, doesn't it, the, I guess... The, the, the local stories that people have around the motu, you know, there are these stories that are not well known, but as fascinating as this. Yeah, someone needs to make a movie about this or write a book about it. Wouldn't yeah. it be a great story? Even mm. if it's not true, for yeah. the, that they came ashore and had some interaction with the locals. Yes, yes. How very. So, so what's happening tomorrow, Eloise? So tomorrow we're delighted to have uh, Dr. Ingrid Heiter Reifenstuhl, who's actually the daughter of U862's first watch officer, Gunther Reifenstuhl. So he's the one that actually made his private war diaries public and made the whole story be known. She's coming to, she's in New Zealand and she's coming to Gisborne. And so Heritage Tairafati, which is our local organisation for telling um, and sharing heritage stories in our district, we're unveiling a large sign, um, which uh, down at the inner harbour, which is going to make hopefully make this this fascinating story more widely known for for locals and visitors as well. Good on you. I'd love to. Is that diary in print? Am I able to read that diary? So some of it is, and there's also a book um, that was written by a Gisborne man, Gerald Schoen, who's now passed away. 
Uh, he wrote a book called U-Boat in New Zealand Waters. And it's out of print at the moment, but widely available in libraries and things like that. Uh, and, it, and it has long diary uh, excerpts in there, and it goes into really some detail of this remarkable story of U-862's war patrol in New Zealand. Amazing, amazing. Uh, astonishing that you haven't heard the story, Wallace. If you grew up on the East Coast in Hawke's Bay, you would have. I knew about this U-boat uh, off the coast of Australia. Sorry, I did not know that a German U-boat um, with 55 men on board came into uh, the harbour in Gisborne there. Uh, my dad was in the home garden Gisborne at that time. He had lots of stories about events up in the pill or up in the hill. Uh, yes. uh, yeah, is that right, Eloise? Yes, that's right. So the Home Guard um, was stationed uh, um, at Te Pohorawari and up on the hill there was a gun emplacement, uh, but they, as I said, they had uh, decommissioned that just just before they actually would have been a really useful thing um, <laughs> to have. Uh, and, and obviously um, Home Guard stationed all around Gisborne as, as, as all regional ports of, of interest or risk. Oh, Very Wallace, good. I think yeah, it Chris. would have been in the pill, up on the pill, because the pillbox was the name for the concrete um, machine gun emplacements. Oh, I understand. And is that pill still there? Yes, so the gun emplacement on Kaiti Hill is still there, and there's still a number of pillboxes that are still uh, existing around Gisborne that you can go amazing. and see. Just amazing. What a story. What a story. Hey, best of luck tomorrow. What's that, sorry? Best of luck tomorrow. Oh, thank you very much. We're, we're looking forward to it. Very good. That's Director of Tarafta Museum, Eloise Wallace, uh, talking about uh, putting up a sign to highlight the midnight entry into Gisborne by a German U-boat, U-862, came into Gisborne Harbour on January the 15th, 1945. All right, time for I've Been... Thinking, Nikki Bazant, take it away. I've been thinking about the gender pay gap. I'm off the clock, Wallace. I'm downing tools. I'm out of office. Me and all the other women in Aotearoa are officially working for free as of today, as of yesterday, actually, uh, because that's the gender pay gap. We 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 don't earn as much as men. Still, it's kind of exhausting. I'm feeling just exhausted by this. It is 50 years since the Equal Pay Act was passed, and we still are here. And I think it's just, it should not be this way. It shouldn't be this hard. Um, Can I ask you something? Do you see it on a personal level in your line of work or in your, in, in however you go about your work? It's really hard for me to know because I don't have a lot of transparency in what I do yeah. um, because I'm, I'm freelance. I work for myself. Ah. I don't really know. But that's, not, that's true of across a lot of industries. There's not really much transparency. And that's part of the call for um, for what we should be doing about mm. this. There's for sure someone's going to be texting in and saying, you know, oh, well, it's because women gravitate towards lower paid professions. Those people have got it around the wrong way. We need to be asking why are the professions that of women that are dominated by women are so undervalued and less valued than other professions. And I think this is up to all of us to solve this. This is not just women's problem to solve. It's up to all of us because if we all actually did clock off tomorrow, you know, you'd all be in trouble. And I should also add that for Wahine Māori and for Pacifica women, it's even worse. They've been working for free since the 5th of November. So we've all got to work much harder. When was the Equal Pay Act? Early 70s? Yeah. 72? 72. Yep. So um, it's been a fair while, hasn't 50 it? 50 years. 50 years, yep. 50 years. It's my whole lifetime. 
since we said we were going to have equal pay and we still don't have it. Very good. All right. Kia ora, Nikki. Uh, uh, Chris Wikaira, I've been thinking. We're just sort of following on from that. I was... Uh, um a comment that made me think from a friend of mine, um, Deborah, when she said, oh, look, where has been the congratulations this week from Upon High in New Zealand for Lydia Coe becoming the world you know, women's number one uh, in, in, in golf again? It made me think about, well, there's been so much sport and there's been so much talk about um, what the success of the Black Ferns is, has meant. You know, our poor old Kiwi Ferns sort of got left in the dust of, of... And mind you, there's just been so much sport on full stop lately. Um, and it made me think, well, is is politics and sport... And I was sort of brought up to believe that, you know, the, the, the two were inextricably... Um, they were never linked. Separate. They, were, they were separate, always mm. separate. Don't put politics in sport. And I think that was my father's way of dealing with um, the, the Springbok Tour because he just wanted to stay yeah. a rugby nut. Um, <laughs> but, but now when you look at what's happening with the World Cup and Qatar and everything, are they now inextricably linked forever? Will, will politics and sport ever be a part again? Got to put my hand up on that. Guilty mm. for not covering Liddy, Liddy Coe here on the panel. And I want to make mention of that because what an extraordinary win Chris Wikaira, getting to number one again after so many had written her off Oh, years totally. Ago. You know, I mean, you sort of wonder about that um, that old saying of, you know, um, form is temporary and class is permanent. Good on Lydia Coe. What an absolute star. Very good. Uh, now, you're on the panel, uh, NZ National. What are we talking about today? We are talking about fleeing drivers, not necessarily the police response, but there was a report uh, a couple of years ago on trying to understand the motivations of fleeing drivers. We have one of those authors on the programme just after four. Bound to be interesting. And I want your comments, too, on whether you like enforced fun at work when you're asked to go on a work leisure trip but it's compulsory, do you push back? Tell you what, I do. The panel. <laughs>